I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles now to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be completing or finishing the chapter this evening. Our sermon text is 19, verses 19 through 30. But I'd like to start reading at verse 12, just um, to jog our memories and, and to get the flow as we go into the end of this chapter. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. This is God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And here we end the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and minds. Let's come before him and ask for his help this evening. Lord, we would ask that you would help us as we look at your word this evening. We realize, Lord, that Every dot of the I, every cross of the T in your word is placed there on purpose. And we wonder why, why you would have us to know certain things. Lord, you know that oftentimes we read your word and and have so many questions. Lord, we um, 
think of how you walked with your disciples on the road and how you opened their minds that they would see you in the scriptures, that they would know you. That is our desire. Lord, would you open our minds this evening? Would you make us like Bereans to search your word? Lord, would you bring your word to our minds that we might hear the preaching of your word and listen for your voice? Lord, help us to discern. Help us to hear. We'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we meditated on the opening 11 verses of chapter 2, and we talked about the astonishing example of Jesus. You remember, we talked about humility that evening. We talked about unity and serving one another in, humil- in humility. Well, God has provided us, the church, with so many inspiring brothers and sisters, some of the most obvious ones are Luther and Tyndale and Calvin and Whitfield and Spurgeon, saints that are so well-known, I only need to mention their last names, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. And we often read missionary biographies from the likes of William Carey and Hudson Taylor and John Payton and others because we are inspired by their love for Christ This this love for Christ that burns so hot that they are willing to be completely spent for the work of Christ. They are extraordinary examples of Christian service. Well, the Word of God provides valuable, it provides examples of valuable Christian service in and of itself. And we see that in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And God points us to specific attributes of their service. In verses 19 through 30, Paul's aim is to teach the Philippians by setting Timothy and Epaphroditus before them as examples of valuable Christian service. In verse 22, you'll notice Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. He has served with me in the gospel. And if you look at verse 29, speaking of Epaphroditus, Paul writes, honor such men. He nearly died for the work of Christ. So this is a call for us to be like these men, to provide valuable service to Christ. But what does their service look like? That's what we're going to ask. God provides us these examples. Let's begin with our first heading, serve with genuine concern. Serve with genuine concern. So Paul, you'll remember, is incarcerated in Rome. And he's been doing everything in his power to advance the gospel, but he's obviously faced with many restrictions, some of them quite physical And on top of that, the presbytery in Rome is a mess. In chapter 1, we learn of division in the church there. It had devolved into factions, and several of the pastors were envious of Paul. And instead of supporting him, some of them were seeking to harm him. Um, More than a few saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to promote themselves. Outwardly, things looked bad, but God was at work. He's always at work. 
God blessed Paul's ministry there in the prison. Paul was faithful to just keep bringing the gospel to anyone who was around him, to inmates and to the Roman guards, and they were hearing the gospel, and people were being saved. Plus, God provided Paul with Timothy, a true friend. Timothy was caring for Paul and striving to shepherd the presbytery there in Rome. And while the drama was unfolding there, Paul received a messenger from Philippi, Epaphroditus, one of the members of the Philippian church, and he arrived with a care package for Paul. It must have been such an encouragement to have him arrive in the midst of everything else that was going on. And during their visits, Paul asked Epaphroditus how the church was doing there in Philippi. And he he rejoiced when he learned that they were remaining faithful to bring the gospel to their uh, surrounding uh, community. They remained mission-minded. And yet he was concerned to hear that they were facing persecution And he was alarmed when he heard about the division within. If left unchecked, division can become ruinous. So Paul and Timothy began to look for a minister within the presbytery or or perhaps some able-bodied men that might be able to take up short-term mission work there in Philippi. In verse 19, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will, genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, no one was willing to help. The situation in Rome was sad. The church there had become self-seeking and had a self-centered spirit. No one was willing to go to Philippi. They they would give uh, lip service, but doing the work was a price that was far too high to pay. Paul says they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. And Christians from every generation face this same dilemma. Whose kingdom are you going to prioritize? Your own or the Lord's? We are willing to spend our time and our money building our own kingdom. We have no problem investing in our comfort or filling our own bellies. But when it comes to investing in the advancement of the kingdom, resources seem to dry up. Oh, that the church would be like Jesus, who was genuinely concerned with our welfare. That is the direction you're given in Philippians 2.4, isn't it? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Perhaps the Roman church was derailed by all their internal conflict. Maybe they were disillusioned and overwhelmed 
And it just lost hope. When we get discouraged at heart, our priorities change. I had a, a job that I loved and that I was excited about, that I invested in. I invested a ton of time uh, in it. But I had a couple of coworkers that crushed my spirit. They robbed me with their words, primarily with their words, and also with their actions. And I, and I lost heart for the work when this happened. My priorities change, and as I look back, I can see it in, in the time I wanted to invest. My heart just wasn't in it anymore. Morale was lost. Has something like this ever happened to you? When we get discouraged and distracted, we tend to lose sight of what is truly important. This is one of the tragedies of church problems. They divert time and energy and concern away from things that matter most. Are your current priorities biblical? Have you got off track? Do you have genuine concern for Christ's work? Paul and Timothy, they they committed themselves to prayer and worked to find someone who could meet the need in Philippi. And during the process, Timothy became burdened for the Philippians. He was deeply concerned about them. So it was decided that Timothy would go even though it was going to be very costly for him and a very, very painful loss for Paul. In verse 19, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see, Paul holds Timothy up as an example of walking in Christ-likeness. Timothy served with genuine concern and he served with consistent character. That's our second heading. Serve with consistent character. Serve with consistent character. The Philippians knew Timothy well. He was one of... Paul's faithful partners in gospel ministry, and he went back as far as the Philippians could remember. You can see that in verse 22. Paul writes, you know, you know Timothy's proven worth. You see, around AD 48, Paul and Barnabas set out on their very first missionary journey, and they went to cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, And you might remember that Paul healed a man who uh, was crippled. And when he was um, healed, the people thought they were gods come down. Remember, they thought that they were Hermes and Zeus. Um, And Paul said, no, no. Do you remember that? And some agitators, we're told, came from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded some in the crowd to stone Paul, and they did so, and they left him for dead. 
But Paul survived, and amazingly, he just gets up and, and keeps on going and bringing the gospel uh, to the next town. And they bring the gospel to Derby next, and then they turn around and double back so that they can check on the new converts and organize them into churches. It's on this very trip that Timothy is converted. And Timothy, he begins to study the word of God and to grow. And as he grows, he begins to serve. As a matter of fact, he becomes a tremendous blessing to the churches right there around him in in Iconium and Lystra. And a couple years later, Paul returns, this time on his second missionary journey with Silas. And when he does, he's reintroduced to Timothy, a disciple who the scriptures say was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. It's at this point that Paul asked Timothy if he would be interested in joining him on their missionary journey. He offered to uh, disciple Timothy one-on-one to train him. And Timothy, of course, says yes. Well, the men continue from city to city, spreading the gospel and planting churches. And eventually, they get to a small Roman colony called Philippi. You see, Timothy was with Paul and Silas when the Philippian church was founded. He was there when that earthquake happened, when the Philippian jailer came to Christ, when Lydia, the seller of purple goods, was converted. He was there right from the get-go. In verse 22, Paul writes, You know, you know Timothy's proven worth. How is the son with the father he has served with me in the gospel? The Philippian church was about 12 years old at the time of this writing, the time of the writing of the book of Philippians. They've witnessed Timothy's dedicated life in serving Christ and spreading the gospel and loving the church. Paul says, as a son with the father, he has served with me. What is parenting? It's kind of like discipling, isn't it? You care for your children. You guide them. You you protect them. You teach them. You correct them. You counsel them. And you train them with the intention of letting them go. You train them so that one day they will be able to raise children of their own. Timothy was one of Paul's disciples. He was like a son Paul taught Timothy the word of God and brought Timothy along to train directly under his care. This is the way that Jesus trained his disciples. He gave personal instruction balanced with on-the-job experience. And Timothy was diligent to learn. He was teachable. He was willing to be corrected. He asked questions. He watched closely. He wanted to learn and grow, and he was willing to work hard. He wanted to serve the Lord with all his heart. And Paul, likewise, was like a father to Timothy. 
He was willing to spend valuable time investing in this young disciple. You know Paul was very busy, but he still found time. He patiently answered all his questions. He taught, he corrected, he encouraged, and he entrusted Timothy to serve. Paul was following Jesus And he wanted Timothy to follow him in discipling others. He told Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The church is a house of discipleship. Are you in need of growth? Ask someone to disciple you. Are you mature in the Lord? Invest in the spiritual growth of someone. The discipleship that Timothy received developed his character. The Philippians witnessed this development. They saw Timothy serve. They saw him follow the servant role of Jesus who made himself nothing taking the form of a servant. Timothy followed the model of Christ and the Philippians realized that. In verse 23, Paul writes, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul knew the Philippians would be in good hands. Timothy's life demonstrated that By God's grace, you can live a life worthy of the gospel, that you can serve with self-sacrificial care. That is our third heading, serve with self-sacrificial care. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus was concerned about others. When news came to Philippi that Paul had been arrested in Rome, Epaphroditus was struck in the heart, as was the entire Philippian church. They had to do something, and a suggestion was put forward that a care package be sent to Paul. But someone would have to volunteer to bring it. It's not like you could just wire transfer the money or, or send a package to Paul. Someone would have to risk their lives traveling with a bundle of money across from, from Philippi over to Rome, making a dangerous trip. Do you have any idea how far Philippi is from Rome? Whoever took the package would have to walk there, and they would have to cross the Adriatic Sea. They would have to travel 766 miles. That's like walking from Indianapolis to New York City. And then once you get there, you're still going to have to walk back. Epaphroditus volunteered. He was willing to risk his life to stand by Paul's side and assist him. He was willing to suffer for the gospel. 
Like Jesus, he was willing to lose his life to save someone else. Paul must have been filled with so much joy when Epaphroditus arrived. He must have been so humble to see someone willing to give so much to minister to his needs. What a demonstration of love. What a demonstration. What an example. And Paul wants to draw the Philippians' attention to that. In verse 25, he writes, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus is Paul's brother in Christ, and he's become Paul's friend someone that Paul has love for and appreciates deeply. In sacrificial service, it stirs up that kind of love. And Paul wants to acknowledge Epaphroditus as a co-worker, a fellow soldier for Christ. Paul is, is an apostle, and because of his calling, he is known in the church. He is seen You see that about the envy. He talks about that in chapter one, about these other ministers who are envious of him. Paul is well known. Everybody knows the apostle, the famous apostle Paul. But Epaphroditus, he was was a layman. He didn't write any books. He didn't plant any churches. He was a behind-the-scenes servant. Yet the two are equal co-workers, one in work and dignity. Paul and Epaphroditus, they are fellow soldiers. They fought side by side in Rome, and together they would win the war. Do you know that 16 million Americans served in World War II? Out of those 16 millions, uh, million Americans that served in World War II, how many Americans were on the front lines uh, shooting? How many saw serious battle? One million. The vast majority of soldiers worked behind the front lines, moving supplies, working as mechanics and shipping clerks and doctors and nurses, or in the Army Corps of Engineers, rebuilding blown-out bridges and roads. The Allies' success in World War II was dependent upon every soldier, not just the troops on the front line. Similarly, every person in the church is vital and has a significant role to play in gospel ministry. Verse 25 says, Epaphroditus was the Philippians' messenger and minister. And the word messenger there is literally the word apostle. And Paul's use of this term is significant. He is an apostle refers to Epaphroditus as an apostle. His use of the word is significant, and yet it would have been clearly understood that he wasn't using the term in an official capacity. He was seeking to raise Epaphroditus up in the Philippians' eyes. Paul also uses the Greek word that's translated minister, 
which would have provoked the imagery of priestly service. Paul is fond of using priestly imagery in connection with self-sacrificial service. You'll notice that he uses it. He used it just before our text in verse 17, speaking of his own service. And he'll continue to paint a a priestly portrait of Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. The point is, Paul is intentionally honoring Epaphroditus. He's holding him up to us as an example. At the time of this writing, Epaphroditus had been in Rome for months. And now he was homesick. He was wanting to return home. And sometime after his arrival in Rome, Epaphroditus became seriously ill. His illness was so bad that many people had given up hope that he would survive. That's because in the first century, few people drew back from death's door. They didn't have the benefit of modern medicine. But you'll notice our text points out that God intervened and saved Epaphroditus. Draw your attention to verse 26. Paul writes, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, nearer to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul wants the Philippians to give Epaphroditus a warm welcome when he returns home. He wants the Philippian church to celebrate. He wants the church to honor Epaphroditus and those like him. In verse 29, Paul writes, Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul wants the church to honor our brothers and sisters who are willing to suffer for the work of Christ. People who so vividly portray the self-sacrificing love of Christ. Who are willing to suffer for others. People who count others more important than themselves and display the mind of Christ. You know, if you hang out here after the service, I guarantee that you are going to see two things. You're going to see a lot of adults standing around talking. And then you're going to see a lot of little ones about that high running, let's not say that, walking quickly up and down the aisles and all around following one another. Maybe they're playing follow the leader. I don't know. Uh, But they look like little ducks following their mama. They are all in a line. Similarly, the scriptures are calling you to follow the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who are themselves following Christ. In verse 19 through 30, Paul aims to teach the Philippians by setting Timothy and Epaphroditus before them 
as examples of what it means to have the mind of Christ, to follow Jesus, to be like him. And as we looked at the text, we were thoughtful about Timothy and Epaphroditus' service. And we considered what their service looked like. What characteristics did we notice? We noticed that they had genuine concern for people, and that led to action. We also observed that these men displayed consistent character, and we realized that they were willing to provide Christ-like, self-sacrificial service to others. Genuine concern, consistent character, self-sacrificial care. These are characteristics of proven worth and honor. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us so many great examples. Your word is filled with them. We talked about John the Baptist this morning, Lord, a man who was so on fire for you. Lord, we want to be vessels unto your honor. We want to live lives worthy of the gospel. Lord, we are in need of you setting us ablaze. We are in need of you pouring out your spirit upon us and stirring us. Lord, you know that we can't drum it up, drum it up in ourselves. And so we would come to you like children with their arms up to their father asking that, Lord, would you please pour out the Holy Spirit upon us? Would you please give us power? Would you please stir in us a heart that desires to see your word go forth in our city? Lord, would you use us? Would you give us a heart like Timothy and Epaphroditus, one that is willing to give of ourselves for the service of others. We'd ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory's sake. Amen.